These are the words of our Lord. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for uh, the, uh, your teaching in uh, these words in Matthew and especially for the promise that is given to us there of your Holy Spirit. And um, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, teach us now. Be our instructor as we open uh, your word, as we study your word. I pray that you would minister to teach, um, encourage, challenge, comfort those who sit here. And would we sense that you are indeed speaking to us as we study your word now. And we ask this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, So we've been uh, talking these past few weeks about the mission of God. So really what the Bible is about is about God making a world and humanity... Uh, rejects God, and the world goes wrong. And so what the whole Bible is about is God's mission to win back the world, to rescue the world from everything that has gone wrong. And what we're looking at in this passage, it turns out when you become a disciple of Jesus, you become a participant in God's mission to the world to reconcile all things to himself. We become you know, co-laborers with God in his mission. And I think that for many of us, if you've been here the past few weeks, one of the most significant challenges for us in embracing our role in God's mission is a deep sense of inadequacy. We feel inadequate to serve God in the world. We, uh, we don't feel capable of playing a meaningful role in God's work in the world. And so I, I think for many of us, on the one hand you might say, you know, it's not only that I'm not sure what I have to offer, I'm not sure that I don't particularly, maybe I don't feel that smart, or I'm I'm not that bold, I'm not that courageous, or I don't know a whole lot, or um, I'm not that confident. It's not only that, but it's also... You know, I'm, I look at the rest of my life, my family, my work, and my sense of purpose in my life, and I, I don't even have those things together, and that seems to be draining me, and then to add on to all of that, this, the whole life that I already feel like I'm failing in so many ways, and then to add on this sense of I have to be with Jesus on this rescue mission for the world, I, I feel inadequate for that. I, I don't have the strength for it. And, uh, but what we see in this passage is that Jesus addresses the question of inadequacy in his disciples by teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is the, the gift 
Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So Christians believe that there is one God who is in three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is how God dwells within us. And what uh, Jesus says is that he promises that, the, that if you believe in Christ, if you're in Christ, his Spirit will dwell within you and make you like him. It's a great promise. And um, I'll tell you, in this passage, Jesus is warning his disciples um, that there are going to be many circumstances in their lives as they serve him in the world, as they go out in the world, as they interact with people, as they uh, face conflict. There are many circumstances where they are going to feel inadequate. And this is Jesus' answer to them in verse 19. This is what he says. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I mean, just a tremendous promise. I mean, if those words don't kind of enchant you, that in the moments when God needs, you uh, you need to speak a powerful word into someone's life or speak for Christ or speak comfort or speak truth, that in that very moment, God's Spirit is going to come upon you and actually put words into your mouth. I mean, what a thrilling thought that we're sent out into the world and we all have this Spirit dwelling within us. So uh, this morning, um, I want to think about this gift of the Spirit, this great gift, and highlight three things in particular that the Holy Spirit gives to us. The Spirit gives us wisdom, calm, and endurance. Three things, wisdom, calm, and endurance. These are three gifts in this passage that we see from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, maybe because I was having trouble writing this sermon this week, I, uh, I find that I have lots of quotes in here and, you know, both quotes from people in our church and books and from other places in the Bible. And uh, one of the things that Jesus actually says in here, though, is that the main way that the Holy Spirit speaks is through his disciples, through Jesus' disciples. And, you know, if you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, a lot of times it's going to be through one of Jesus' disciples speaking to you. And so I'm going to kind of channel that in, uh, in uh, my sermon this morning. So um, bear with me if it feels like lots of quotes, lots of people I'm referring to. Um, but the first thing that we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Now, uh, one of the, my personal kind of devotional habits is that uh, every morning I read a chapter of Proverbs. Um, and if you've ever read through Proverbs, one of the, the messages that Proverbs says over and over again is the value, the preciousness of wisdom. You know, uh, one, one of my favorites in Proverbs 4 says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. In many places, Proverbs says that wisdom is actually more valuable than wealth. It's more valuable than anything. If you can have wisdom. And now what is wisdom? Wisdom is the art of godly living. Wisdom is not a formula. Wisdom is an art form. In, uh, actually, Cornelius Planiga, uh, in a book, says that wisdom, in, according to the Bible, what wisdom is, wisdom is a knowledge of God's world and a knack for fitting oneself into it. 
having a knack for living in God's world. That's what wisdom is. It, it's, it's an art form. And, you know, that's how art is, right? Art is having a knack for something. Like, if you're good at working with wood, you have a knack for how I'm going to cut it and what the shape's going to look like. Or if you're a photographer, you have a knack for, for getting the light right and capturing something that's, you know, that's kind of real and beautiful at the same time. And uh, it's having a knack. And, and that's what wisdom is, is that living in the world, you have to have a knack for living in God's world and understanding how God's world works. And there's all kinds of subtlety to it. That wisdom demands this subtlety, and this subtlety of living in God's world, of interacting with people, of, of sharing our faith, of loving people, all that art form is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And what Jesus tells us in these verses is that the Holy Spirit gives us two kinds of wisdom in particular. The wisdom of silence and the wisdom of words. The wisdom of silence and the wisdom of words. Look first, the wisdom of silence. You see that there? Look at verse 16. Behold... I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be, as, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And by the way, this is just an example of what a great teacher Jesus is. You know, he uses these animals. There's these four animals, sheep, wolves, serpents, doves. And I don't know, I think I heard that this verse, be wise as serpents, innocent as, as doves, once. And it was permanently in my brain. It, you know, it's, he's just a powerful teacher of using these images. And it's so odd that Jesus would tell his disciples, I want you to be like serpents. Uh, serpents? I mean, isn't Aren't serpents always bad in the Bible? And, uh, you know, the Bible begins with a serpent that's bringing sin in the world and defying God, and devils and, uh, and demons are always referred to as serpents that we're going to, you know, stomp on under our feet. And then Jesus says, I want you to be like serpents. I mean, what an odd thing, which is, it's very memorable, but what, why is he saying that? Why would he want us to be like serpents? And uh, Dallas Willard, uh, in his, his book on, on uh, Matthew, says this, What is the wisdom of the snake? It is to be watchful and observant until the time, time is right to act. It is timeliness. One rarely sees a snake chasing its prey or thrashing about in an effort to impress it, but when it acts, it acts quickly and decisively. And what he's saying is what a snake does is it's, it's hidden, it's subtle, it's quiet. It doesn't, you know, it's not, you know, aggressive and wrestling with something. It waits and then it springs. And so it, the wisdom of a snake is really the wisdom of silence, the wisdom of hiddenness. And what, he, what Jesus is saying is um, that we should share that kind of um, subtlety, that um, uh, patience to wait for the right time to speak. And, uh, you know, that is something that the devil uses as a part of his tactics. Because, you know, you kind of think in our culture, what's, the, you know, the most brilliant thing that the devil, you know, scheme that the devil has come up with is he's convinced our whole culture that he doesn't exist. He's completely invisible. And he's perfectly happy with that. He's completely silent. No one even knows that he's talking or even notices that he's there or he's doing anything. That's what serpents do is they're hidden in the corner and they're subtle. And what Jesus is saying is actually we should be that way. We should not, as Christians, as we go about his mission, be loud and obnoxious and uh, we should not be constantly trying to draw attention to ourselves. We are waiting for the moment to speak a word of truth at the right moment. 
in the timeliness when the Spirit says the time is right. And um, uh, Dan Allender is a, a Christian counselor who teaches at a school down in, uh, down in Seattle. He has a book called The Healing Path. Um, and in the end of this book on, you know, it's kind of on, you know, how do our souls uh, kind of be made whole again? How does God work in our hearts to, to uh, restore the brokenness in our lives? And in the end of the book, he, talked, he has this great chapter where he talks about having redemptive conversations with people. That once we, God works in our life, we want to speak God's truth, God's love, God's hope into other people's lives. And he has this chapter on how do you have those kinds of conversations with people. And he tells this story about his next-door neighbor who had this old Mustang that he was always out waxing and, you know, making sure it was immaculate. And so one day, his, his, neighbor, his neighbor's out there washing it, and he, pulled, he brought a, uh, a fold-up chair and sat right next to the neighbor and said, do you mind if I watch you, you know, massaging your beauty or whatever? You know, said something like that. And uh, while the guy, and the guy said, hey, that's fine. Uh, you can sit there and watch me. And he began to ask him, why do you love this car so much? And the guy talked about how, you know, well, when I was young and I drove around this car, it made me feel like I wasn't a dork. And uh, this is what Allender, he describes this conversation. This is what he says. This conversation went no further. It didn't need to because it was only a first entry into what dearly mattered to my neighbor. His car, uh, his car held deep personal memories that he had linked to feeling like a dork. In many ways, his honesty stunned me. I decided I'd gone far enough for the moment. Many believers think a redemptive conversation must either be overtly spiritual or invite a person to make a decision to receive Jesus as Savior. The fact is, talking about Pearl Jam or a good veal piccata might be a profoundly redemptive conversation if it opens channels to knowing what stirs the other person's passion and delight. And listen to this last, this last sentence here. Patience in conversation allows us to make small entries without demanding we proceed beyond the natural potentiality of the moment. He talks about patience in conversations, that effective redemptive conversations demands the, the wisdom of silence, the wisdom of the serpent, to wait for the time to speak at the right moment. This is what Proverbs 18 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So if we as Christians are just go out and just talking and talking and talking about what we believe, Jesus says, that is not wise. People aren't going to want to listen to you. But you listen and you are silent and you are subtle like the serpent and wait for the time, though the Holy Spirit opens the opportunity to speak. But the Holy Spirit does, not only gives us the wisdom of when to be silent, but also the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom of words. And you see that there, verse 20. Actually, it's, maybe I should read the whole thing. Verse 19 when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So the main thing this passage says is the Holy Spirit actually puts words into our mouth. And um, you know, one of the things that uh, Shannon has reminded me of a number of times in the course of my ministry, because, you know, as a pastor, you get told over and over again in seminary and just from people, you know, don't just try to fix people. 
They're going to come to you with problems and don't immediately say, oh, I know what you need. If you do this, this will solve your problem. People want to be heard. They want to be listened to. They don't feel loved when you just try to give them an answer and a pat answer and, you know, speaking and correcting their wrong beliefs or, or what they're doing wrong and just saying, just do this. But Shannon said, you know, there's another side to that. I mean, it is good to listen. It is good uh, to make sure that people feel heard. But she was telling me as a pastor, you know, people also want to know what you think or what the Bible has to say. They want to hear from the Lord. They need a word of encouragement, a word of challenge. And, uh, and so you shouldn't be afraid to speak. They want to hear from you. And that's the same for all of us, is that God puts us into pe- people's lives. And um, you'll find that as you're being silent and you're waiting, and you're waiting for that timeliness, to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us words to speak into a, a neighbor's life. You know, a neighbor maybe opens up to you about their life or someone, uh, someone in your family, someone here at this church who opens up to their life. Pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us words that speak deeply into people's souls. And, um, you know, it, it is a great joy to have that experience where you know that God has given you a word to speak to someone. And I, you know, I, I know that many of you have had that experience where you're talking with someone and an idea about God or about a person's life comes to you that you say, I've never thought of that before. There's a bit of wisdom or a way to think about this. I've never even thought of that. And it was kind of the perfect thing to say right at that time. And it just came to me and it's a great thrill. But actually the hope of this passage that it's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to speak through us tells us that it's actually not up to us. It's not up to us to speak the right things because a lot of times actually the things that we think are the most wise and that we're the most proud of, and I can't believe I thought of that, that would just nailed it, are actually the things that really don't speak to people powerfully. And there are often things that we thought were just an offhand comment. You know, I'm in a sermon and I say, by the way, dot, dot, dot. And then someone says, that, I didn't hear the rest of the sermon, but your little by the way was life-changing. I said, oh, that was a throwaway comment. And it's, it's actually the Holy Spirit who's doing this. And actually, uh, this week, I, I was down in Seattle meeting with a group of pastors uh, and church planters that we get together seven times a year and just talk about ministry. And uh, one of the pastors down there was talking about how he, there was a guy that he's been getting to know and uh, over coffee, and you know he's been looking for opportunities to talk to him about the Lord. And they fa- he found out that they had this common problem that neither of them are able to sleep. And so he began talking about how God had really helped him to learn to sleep. And, and so he goes through this whole thing of where he's weaving in the gospel. And he says, you know, I, I realized all my, a lot of the anxiety that I was bringing into my sleep and, and how God spiritually cared for me and it's helped me to sleep. And he goes in this long thing he's, and he's thinking to himself, this is brilliant. I'm like weaving the gospel into sleep problems. I mean, this is, this is just, I'm a master at this. And th- he's just so excited. What is this guy going to say at the end of this? This guy's going to be like, wow, I didn't know the gospel could even apply to my sleep. And so he goes through his long thing and he's just telling him, and he says, so what do you think of that? And the guy's looking at him and he said, have you ever tried a Tempur-Pedic mattress? You know, and he's, he's like, no, mattress. Uh, okay. Wow, that obviously didn't connect. And, um, and yet, I'll tell you, this pastor has told me again and again that when he's gotten up to preach, and he's, again and again, sermons that he thought no one was listening to that. People came up to him and said, you ch- 
you know, God changed my life in that sermon. And so the hope for us is that we show up in places and we just trust that the Spirit, that whatever words come are the words that the Spirit are giving to us. And we trust God. And there's great hope in that. And so the first thing, this is a great promise of the Spirit, is that the Spirit gives us wisdom, both a wisdom to be silent and a wisdom to speak, the wisdom of words. Second thing we see in this passage is also that the Holy Spirit gives calm. A big need that we have as we serve Christ in the world is the need for calm in our life. And actually, uh, just uh, yesterday, I was talking with Jesse Clausen. Jesse Clausen is the, the women's ministry lead in our church. I don't, I don't know how many of you know that. We, we just hired her in, in, Jan, in January. She's on staff with our, our church, working with women in our church. And uh, if you don't know Jesse, connect with her. And, um, and I was just talking to her about, as she's kind of sharing in the ministry of our, of our church, and she was just encouraging me, saying that as we care for people, as we try to love people, how important it is for us personally that we are resting in Christ. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of sharing with her some of the burdens that I feel as a pastor and, and our responsibilities, and I, I want to care for people well. And she says, we need to rest in Christ. We need to find in Christ rest, calm, and quiet. And look at, you know, Jesus here, as he's talking to his disciples, he's sending them out into a very hostile and tumultuous environment. Uh, they're going to be arrested. They're going to be interrogated. They're going to be beaten. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. How you're to speak or what you're to say or what you, uh, for what, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And what he says is do not be anxious. Do not be anxious because you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the reason that we, sh- that we have for not being anxious. It, um, and what Jesus says to his disciples is that it is possible for you to experience a profound calm even in the midst of tremendous turmoil. It is possible for you to experience calm, a quiet. And actually, if we're going to love people well, if we're going to serve people well, if we're going to serve each other well, it is important that we bring a calm and a quiet into those relationships. And this was another thing. Uh, Last week we were having a a session meeting. Our session is the, the elders of this church who lead the church. And we have, a, at the beginning, we have just kind of a meditation time on the scriptures where we talk about the scriptures and encourage one another. And Chris Van Hoffigan was talking about a book he's reading called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And in that book, Paul Miller was saying that, you know, many of us say that our lives just feel so busy and that we have so many things that we're doing and we just cram our lives full of things all the way to the margins and there's no margin left. And many of us say, you know, I need more margin in our life. But actually, Paul Miller says, you know, if you look at Jesus' life, he was busy. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be busy too. Because there are many people who have needs and and places to care for people. And if you really care for people and love them, you're going to be busy. It's going to fill your life. But what Paul Miller says is that if we have a prayer life, if we go to God... And, and ask for the Holy Spirit, it is possible that into that busy life we can bring a quiet of our soul. There is a quiet in our soul that we can bring into the busyness of our life if we spend time with God. And I know that for many of you, you just need a reminder, an encouragement to go and take time to be with God and to have your soul quieted and brought to calm and to rest. 
When was the last time you've had an extended period of time of quiet and rest so that God can bring calm and quiet to your soul? And so that when you go back out into your busy life and you're interacting with all kinds of people, you bring that calm with you. Now, um, the Holy Spirit gives us that calm and quiet of our soul. But one of the things that we see in this passage is that one of the main causes of anxiety in our lives, the unrest, is conflict. Personal conflict. And actually, you see that this passage is so filled with conflict. I mean, it's violently, you know, verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death. I mean, it's just violently, frighteningly uh, violent. Uh, Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And one of the things that Jesus says to his disciples, I mean, this is the extreme of conflict, of family conflict, of family being ripped apart because of, you know, spiritual allegiances. And what Jesus says is that much of being a disciple is being willing to not run from conflict. Is to not run away from it. And some of you will say, you know, I see in my life that I constantly run away from conflict. I run away from it. I don't want it. I don't want to face it. I don't want to have those hard conversations. What do I do about that? And what Jesus says in this passage is that the way to not run away from conflict, but to face it with a calm, is to ask your Father for the Holy Spirit. You must ask for the Father to give you, a Holy Spirit, give you the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead, will instead give, uh, of a fish give a, him a serpent? Or if he asks for, asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There are, are, part of our life as disciples is walking often into conflict. And what Jesus says is that we just simply ask God for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will give us a calm, will give us words, will give us silence and timeliness as we walk into those difficult situations in our family and in the culture around us. And um, this is one of the gifts that the Spirit gives us. And you know what that tells us is that another thing that many of us long for in our life is experiences of the Holy Spirit. We want to feel that God is alive, that God is powerful, that he's listening to prayers, he's answering prayers. And you know what Jesus says here? You want to experience the Holy Spirit? Stop running from conflict. It is in those conflicts that you are going to experience God's presence, God's promise, his faithfulness, is your willingness to walk into conflict and be present there with the calm of the Holy Spirit. And then you will see that God is alive and he is with you. Which is not what we think. That's not what we think experiencing the Holy Spirit is going to be like. We think it's going to be, um, you know, places of abundance and joy and, and laughter, but it's actually in these places of conflict that Jesus is going to see, says, you are going to see that my promises are true. Okay? So, two things so far we see. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom, the wisdoms of, of silence and the wisdom of words. The Holy Spirit gives a calm to us as we do God's mission. But third, the Holy Spirit gives 
endurance. The Holy Spirit gives endurance. And you see this here in verse 20, 20, second half of verse 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So Jesus' charge to his disciples is a charge to persevere, to endure to the end. And yet his motivation in this passage is kind of puzzling, right? I don't, I don't know if you caught that, where he says, uh, Truly I say to you, uh, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So he's sending out his disciples on this little this mission where they're going to go around the, you know, the towns in Palestine and, and all the Israelite communities. And he says the Son of Man is going to come, which for most of us, if you're a Christian, you read that as the second coming the coming of the Son of Man, that Christians believe that Jesus is going to come again at the end of, of history and he's going to judge the world. And he says, Jesus is saying that before they're done going just to the towns in Palestine, that Jesus is going to come. Was Jesus wrong? And actually, many scholars have said that, but uh, let, me, let me give a brief explanation of this verse, which I think is important. Whenever you see Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man, all the, the people in his community, what that would have triggered in their mind is there, there's a, a, a scripture in Daniel chapter 7 where uh, Daniel says that he has this vision of heaven where the Ancient of Days is, is in heaven and there's a man, there's one like a son of man who comes riding on a cloud to heaven into the throne room of God. And God gives to the one who's the son of man dominion over all the nations of the earth. And so what that means is that the coming of the Son of Man is not about Jesus coming to earth, but it is about Jesus coming to heaven. And so uh, what that means is what happens in Jesus' ministry, Jesus uh, ministers for three years where he's teaching and healing, and then after three years, he dies on the cross for our sins. On the third day, his body is raised from the dead. He spends 40 days after he's raised from the dead showing himself to all the people uh, so they could see that he was raised, and he's teaching about the kingdom. And then after 40 days, what happens? He ascends back into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And his coming to the Father, and when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he says that the, all authority in heaven has been given to him. This is his coming of the Son, Son of Man. And when he comes, he's given all authority. And you know what the first thing he does is when he's seated at the right hand of the Father? He ascends in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit. And so the hope for their endurance how are you going to endure in this mission? That's not just going to be to the towns in Israel, but to all the, you know, you're just going to get started in the towns of Israel, in Israel, and then I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And the thing that's going to enable them to endure is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this is John 16, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go, uh, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. If I go away, if I go to heaven, then I will send the Holy Spirit. What this tells us is that one of our major callings as we do God's mission in the world is towards perseverance and endurance. For many of us, being a Christian, whatever situation you're in right now, feels like we are just pushing along. It feels like such hard work. 
And some of us just need to be told, you know, that is what it's going to be. We're going to have to endure to the end. We're going to have to stand fast, be strong, be courageous. And the reason we can be strong and be courageous is because we believe that God has given us his spirit that is dwelling in us that will see us to completion. And so what that means also about the Holy Spirit is that the work of the Holy Spirit is not so much spectacular as it is steadfast. Usually we think of the power of the Holy Spirit happening is that all these great things and miraculous things are going to be happening. It's, wow, the Holy Spirit is present. That's not how Jesus sees it. Life in the Spirit is steadfast, continual persistence and faithfulness, long-term faithfulness. And this is what Jesus commends us to even more. So as we do this mission, this is our great gift, is that the very Spirit of God is dwelling in us, giving us wisdom, when to be silent, when to speak, giving us calm and quiet as we enter into conflict, knowing that the Spirit is with us, and ultimately holding, guarding for us the, the, what's been entrusted to us of the gospel. And so um, as we go into Bellingham and walk in Pitt County serving the Lord, it is the Spirit that we must continually turn to as our strength and our power and our wisdom. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we ask that you would teach us to ask you regularly for your spirit and we would really rest in the promise that you've given us here that the spirit um, indeed will give us words, that indeed the spirit will help us to endure and to step into conflict and to face conflict knowing that Christ is with us. I pray for those who are here who are struggling to endure, to persevere, to remain steadfast. I pray that your spirit would be upon them to give them strength and courage, that they would hear from your word and that you would um, build them up, encourage them with other Christians, um, that, they, that we might remain steadfast and you would give us a long-term faithfulness. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.